Happy day, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time or for the first time in a while, the focus of my podcast is information that I share on my website blog. So how do you find my blog? From your favorite web browser, navigate to my website, www.copperrangellc.com and click blog. It appears along the top of the landing page for my website. If you access my site on a mobile device, click the three line menu icon, which is usually in the upper right. My blog posts have the great photos behind the story, so you definitely want to make a stop to my webpage so you can check those out. It's free to view. Also on my website, copperrangellc.com, you can view all my images, learn about me, and keep up with my art show schedule. At my art shows, you'll find my work for purchase. It's a great way to shop my photography in person and meet me. You can also shop safely and really easily online. Just click the buy icon on any photo that you see on my website and you'll be on your way to a really easy and safe shopping experience and you can join the ranks of my collectors. And if you're not following me on Instagram or on Facebook, you can find me. Instagram, I am at Copper Range and Facebook, I am at Copper Range Photo. You can also find me on LinkedIn as well. You know, it's really easy just to sort of use your favorite web browser, plug in my name, and you'll, you'll be able to reach me in all kinds of different ways. Today's podcast is titled, It Takes All of Us. It Takes All of Us. For me, one of the most difficult things about wildlife photography is probably not what you would think. It's not the technical skill, the research that's required, the strength that's required, the discipline, the travel to so many and varied places or exhibiting and selling work that's actually the hardest. Now, of course, those things have challenges and they do not come easy. But what I find most challenging actually is witnessing other photographers, and that includes professionals, amateurs, hobbyists, anybody out with a camera, and, you know, other outdoor enthusiasts engaging in what's come to be understood as unethical wildlife photography. This doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And, you know, even things that occur in small amounts can do serious harm. You know, here's what's so challenging about encountering these kinds of situations with unethical photographers or unethical birders or other outdoor folks is, you know, we have a lot of people talking about unethical wildlife photography, including very popular wildlife photographers and prominent organizations issuing very well-crafted and very well-thought-out guidelines and policies on the do's and don'ts of wildlife photography. But we lack lucid, concrete steps that we can take when we find ourselves right next to or in the company of people engaging in unethical or even dangerous behavior while they're photographing wildlife. So I have been thinking a lot about this recently because in my region of the United States, we're heading into owl season. You know, this is a time of year when owls will begin to sort of looking for mates, looking for nesting seasons, looking for nesting areas. So they're out and about and they're more visible and they're more, and we can hear them more. 
You know, and put simply, owls are very keenly sought after by wildlife photographers, birders, and other wildlife lovers. You know, I have a picture of a eastern, it's called an eastern screech owl. It's a red morph, so it's the red ver- variety that's on my portfolio and that I had posted, I think, on Facebook or or social media at one point, and somebody contacted me, you know, through direct messaging and asked me to reveal the location of where the owl was, and I didn't because that's something that we don't do in our area because people really sometimes kind of mob areas where owls can be found. So in the last couple of years, I've had several encounters with other wildlife photographers, birders, and others who were either, one, willfully ignoring and bypassing clear protections to prevent people from getting too close to nesting owls, or two, they were not aware of the potential consequences of creating noisy, crowded conditions while photographing wildlife, and in particular, uh, some owl species I've seen. So you might ask, isn't there a place where such unethical people and behaviors can be reported so these actions can be stopped and prevented? Well, in most circumstances, uh, there is no such place or authority, you know, and except for the few people who might choose to report what they believe is unethical behavior, you know, on Facebook birding groups or other social media groups, there are really essentially no consequences to humans who choose to intentionally or even unintentionally engage in unethical, disruptive, and harmful wildlife photography or wildlife watching. You know, that's a really hard truth, and, you know, it's completely unjust to the wildlife that we love and have an obligation to protect. So one of the things I see a lot in discussions about unethical wildlife photographers is a kind of a recounting in a social media or an email sharing of an ethics policy from an authoritative source that states and describes the wrongs of ethical excuse me, unethical photography. And there are a few of these ethics policies out there, and I'm grateful to the organizations that have invested the time, the resources, and thought into developing ethics policies. Since I belong to and follow a few birding groups, the ethics policy I often see distributed among birders is the American Birding Association, or ABA, Code of Ethics. It has three main provisions, along with very important clarifying points on each of these provisions. So just to give you an idea of what the guiding provisions are, there's three of them. I'll just repeat them. One, respect and promote birds in their environment. Two, respect and promote the birding community and its individual members. Three, respect and promote the law and the rights of others. There are also a few other guidelines for ethical wildlife photography. For example, there are the Principles of Ethical Field Practices by the North American Nature Photography Association, which is also known by the acronym NANPA, N-A-N-P-A. And there's also Audubon's Guide to Ethical Bird Photography and Videography. NANPA's Guide emphasizes three ethical field practices which align really closely with the American Birding Association's Code of Ethics. 
a useful, I think, a useful and important feature of NAMPA's ethics guide is its emphasis on photographers being knowledgeable and having knowledge and awareness of what they're doing, where they're going, and others that are around them. So for readability, I'm going to um, repeat to you the three principles of the NANPA ethics guide. I'm going to add the word have before each of these principles because that just, I think, helps make it clearer. So first principle, have knowledge of subject and place. Second, have knowledge of rules and laws. And third, have expertise and responsibilities. So I encourage you to take a look at these ethics policies if you haven't, because the details behind them are really where everything gets fleshed out and everything is, I think, made much more transparent and clear. Um, You know, so ethics policies and codes like these are really essential educational tools and resources that I believe make a difference. But what happens when you're out in the field and you witness something unethical and inappropriate? These kind of real world scenarios aren't covered by any of the ethics policies or guidelines I reviewed. You know, not everyone wants to be that person that tells a stranger to their face they're doing something wrong. In fact, many people avoid these kinds of situations because they don't you know, really feel equipped to manage that kind of situation effectively. There's understandable fear and anxiety about these kinds of encounters with our fellow humans, and particularly, you know, in our current times where, you know, folks may be feeling just a little bit more on edge. Alternatively, there are those that may speak up when they see an unethical photographer in action, but who may come off offensive and harsh because the only way they've been equipped to handle these situations is by reminding the offender that they're breaking the rules. People don't usually respond well to that. You know, in uh, this past winter, winter 20, the winter of 2020 to 2021, that period, this last year, At the height of the pandemic closures and the staying at home in the United States, I had an encounter with a visitor who was among the thousands of people to visit the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal National Historic Park in Maryland. And the purpose of that was to get a glimpse of the male painted bunting that had showed up in our area. These are beautiful, like they call them rainbow colored birds. They're just absolutely stunning. And that bird um, was well out of its winter range and so it was really just some sort of unbelievable occurrence and many many people came to try to catch get a glimpse of this bird i went out once or twice um and one on one of the occasions i was out there the visitor who i'm referring to was standing along with me and many others who were waiting for the bunting to appear when she started using a bird calling app on her phone. So this is like an app um, where you can play bird sounds. And there were several others nearby who saw and heard what I did. The disappointed looks on their faces signaled to me that they might have believed what this visitor was doing was wrong, but nobody said anything. And importantly, you know, using bird sounds, uh, bird recordings or bird calls, isn't actually permitted in national parks because according to the National Park Service, I'm quoting here, 
mimicking animal sounds is considered harassment, which is illegal. So that's pretty serious. Actually, at that time, on this day, I didn't know that bird calling apps and sounds weren't permitted in national parks. I know that now. And actually, I have a source on my website where you can, there's a link and you can go see that for yourself. And actually, uh, many or all of the National Wildlife Refuges also prohibit the use of bird sounds or bird calling. I don't think a lot of people are always aware of that. Um, but here's what, I, here's what I did know at the time when I was standing there waiting for this beautiful bird to show up along with many, many, many other people. What I did know is that bird calling, the use of bird calling under those conditions that we were in was potentially very harmful to this male painted bunting. You know, birds have excellent hearing and when they hear what they think is another bird in the area, it can raise alarms. It can actually cause them to flee the area. It can cause them to search out the bird and generally cause them to use up valuable energy. You know, further, it was the middle of winter. It was cold. Food was probably scarce. And the painted bunting was hundreds of miles from its warmer and normal winter range. So this rare vagrant painted bunting was already clearly under stress, probably under stress from so many factors. And using bird calls just so the visitor could get a photo, you know, just wasn't a good choice. So I told the visitor that the bird calling app was likely to add to the bunting's stress. Wasn't appropriate. The visitor appeared to at first ignore me, then continued to play the app for a few more seconds, but then eventually turned it off and then left the area. So, you know, you might ask yourself, what if I had known at the time that the National Park's position and policy that bird calling sounds and apps are considered wildlife harassment and therefore illegal? What if I had known that at the time? I could have just led with that and told this visitor they were a rule breaker, period, done. I can now go back to what I was doing. You know, alternatively, as advised by the North American Nature Photography Association's ethics guidelines, I could, I'm quoting, report inappropriate behavior to proper authorities. Don't argue with those who don't care. Report them. So yeah, I could have reported her had I known that this was, you know, technically a violation of national park policy. You know, and um, both of those options are not unreasonable. And importantly, there really could be situations where these are the only or the best options. You know, but reporting someone or getting in their face to tell them that they broke a rule aren't the only options. Also, these approaches can get in the way of one really critical thing, which is educating others about the, um, the impact that they're having. Many people actually don't know that things like bird calling, feeding wild animals, or getting too close or being too loud has consequences and can harm wildlife. Many people are not aware. So this is where a communication technique called authority of the resource, also known as ART, A-R-T, authority of the resource, can be invaluable because it supports effective and respectful interactions. This technique is embedded in the leave no trace conservation principles. I have links, more information on my website about that. 
And Leave No Trace has actually been broadly adopted by U.S. national parks and other recreation or public land areas. So a little bit about art. Art was laid out in 1990 by Dr. George Wallace, a professor specializing in human dimensions of natural resources at Colorado State University. He believed that those who cause impacts in natural areas do so because they're A, unskilled, B, uninformed, C, careless, or D, unintentional. Dr. Wallace observed a variety of law enforcement rangers in the field, and he noted that rangers who incorporated an educational message in their interactions with others, people who maybe were doing something that wasn't right, were more likely to be successful and influencing a visitor's outdoor ethic. That's a big deal. So a first step in using art, authority of the resource technique, is recognizing that people who visit wild places, people who go hiking, birding, or photographing wildlife, aren't usually there to cause harm. You know, should harm occur though, if we can clearly explain the impact their actions had, the consequences of the impact, and then help folks understand the preferred alternative, we're likely to be successful in peacefully and respectfully changing behavior. There's a good deal of information on the internet about art, and some organizations offer training. You might just want to search your favorite web browser with the words authority of the resource and you'll come up, I think, with a lot of great resources if you want to try this or learn a lot more about it. Um, Here today in the podcast and on my website, I'm provided a four-step summary of how an interaction could proceed. And I use the experience I described earlier, witnessing this birder using a bird calling app in a national park. You know, one recommendation before I start with this, uh, f- describe this four-step summary and give you an example, is um, when you start your conversation with somebody, there's a recommendation that you stand shoulder to shoulder versus face to face with the person you're addressing. I think the concept there, the idea there is it's a little less, feels a little less confrontational. So here's a four-step uh technique tip on how to use this authority of the resource communication tool. Number one, introduce yourself and take a moment for ice breaking conversation. So here's an example using the encounter I had with the birder in the national park. Hi, I'm Carolyn. I'm here like so many others to photograph this amazing bird. Is this your first visit out to see the painted bunting? Step two, give an objective description of the undesirable behavior observed. So here's an example statement. I noticed you were playing bird calls that sounded like a painted bunting. Step three, reveal or interpret the implications of the undesirable behavior. Focus on how the behavior impacts to the resource or the experience of others. So here's my example statement. This little bunting is really a survivor out here. Wow, there's a lot of people out here. It's cold and food can be, can't be easy to find out here. Those things put a lot of stress on this little bird. Uh, Playing bird sounds can actually, you know, add to that stress. These birds are always on alert. 
the bunting will pay attention to the call and might even fly out from where it's trying to rest and stay warm and or find food. Step four, describe the desired behavior. Communicate appreciation for the resource and model desired behavior when possible. Describe the agency norm when appropriate. So here's the example statement. I'm really excited to see this bunting too. We all want to see this bird make it out here and and not make things harder for it. It just takes patience. I feel like I should also let you know, um, since we're talking, that it's actually illegal to use bird call recordings in national parks. The national park system actually considers it harassment. You can find that on their website along with other rules for visiting the parks. So that's a four-step approach. Let me just repeat the four steps and you can find all this written up on my website blog and you can use as a reference for yourself. So four steps to take when you encounter somebody who's engaging in behavior that appears harmful, appears unethical. One, introduce yourself and take a moment for an ice-breaking conversation. Try to lighten the mood. Two, give an objective, objective description of the undesirable behavior that you observed. Three, reveal and interpret the implications of the undesirable behavior. Focus on how the behavior impacts the resource or the experience of others around. Describe the desired behavior. Communicate appreciation for the resource and model the desired behavior when possible. Describe an agency norm when appropriate. As we wildlife photographers, birders, nature lovers, and other outdoor enthusiasts head into owl season, it's not a bad idea to anticipate that we might encounter a few cases of photographers, birders, and enthusiasts at all levels of expertise and skill engaging in behaviors that put our wildlife and birds at risk. Before you head out, refresh your memory on the art technique Imagine the scenarios where it might be used and practice how to intervene effectively, respectfully. You'll be doing something great for the wildlife we love so much. It does take all of us. Thank you for listening today. Remember to spread the word. Please share and get the news out. Visit my website, www.copperrangellc.com where you can view my wildlife and nature images, read my blog, listen to my podcast, send me an email, keep up with my show schedule, and shop my art safely and securely. Have a great day.